you want to figure out how can I go out there in the world and feel quote unquote normal. I had the privilege of meeting incredible people that you would really only meet by chance. There's a lot of places on this planet that have humbled the shit out of me. I think the thing that makes you unique and different is the thing that's going to position you for success. I don't shine if you don't shine. I was glowing. You were truly in my damn homeland. Hi guys, welcome back to On She Goes the Podcast. This is episode three of season four. Today we're gonna talk about a pretty cool topic, transracial adoption. Becca's here. Ooh. Becca is not a transracial adoptee, but she is here. <laughs> uh, Farron, Vivian, and Rebecca Russell are unable to join us today. However, we have two lovely ladies, Shannon Hutchinson. Hello. And Rebecca Hudson from OnlyBlackGirl.com. Hello. Uh, both of these ladies are transracial adoptees. And uh, I've always been curious about the topic because especially nowadays where, um, and I guess forever in life, uh, you know, your race has been your race is such a a huge topic of discussion, like always. But like now, it seems like more than ever, everybody's talking about race. There's so much tension. I mean, there's always been tension, yeah. but now it's just blatant. Yeah. So um, I've always been super curious about this subject. And I wanted to chat with you ladies about your experiences. And we're also going to have um, a contributor story from Casey Lawrence, who's a young woman who is also a transracial adoptee who went to Vietnam to find her parents. And she's going to tell us that story uh, later in the episode. Awesome. But first, um, will you ladies just kind of introduce yourselves and tell a little bit of your story, who you are, et cetera, et cetera? Sure, I'll go. Okay. Uh, so, yes, again, my name is Rebecca. I write for OnlyBlackGirl.com, which is my blog. I am a transracial adoptee, adopted at birth. My birth family is originally from Houston, Texas. So I was adopted three days after my birth, and I was raised in Olympia, Washington, which is quite white, as you may know. <laughs> Pretty different, yeah. <laughs> what a jump. Houston, and, Olympia. Um, I am one of three adoptees in my immediate family, and then there's, in my extended family, there's actually about 14 adoptees. Oh, um, wow. So there's adoptions kind of been in my family for a very long time. Uh, just like the race part of discussing adoption was not. So, <laughs> so yeah, so I grew up, um, there's, I have two other adopted siblings that are both black, and then my extended family, we have adoptees from Taiwan, um, Ethiopia and within the States as well. So we have a pretty big, diverse family. Um, but just growing up in Washington where it's primarily white and we were homeschooled for most of our lives, we just didn't really interact with people of color at all. In fact, I don't even think I met another person of color outside my family to like high school. So just growing up in that environment, I'm sure we'll discuss more of that later on. And then yeah. I went to college in Boston and I now live in Los Angeles where I uh, yell at white people. And <laughs> that sounds like a good job. <laughs> <laughs> and Shannon, tell us a little bit about yourself. So my name is Shannon and I'm a trans national transracial adoptee. So I was adopted at three months. Uh, I was born in South Korea and uh, my older sister is also adopted from a different biological family and uh, grew up in Maple Valley, Washington, which is uh, as idyllic and, and white as you would imagine it to be. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's kind of similar to Rebecca. I mean, I was in college before I was really surrounded by a group of uh, people that were 
were diverse. And mm-hmm. so I was very, I grew up very much used to explaining my story, explaining, are, is that, are those your real parents? And all the yes. things that come with that yes. from quite an early age, probably like I can, I can remember that in first grade, having those conversations on the playground. And then when I, in 2009, I actually did a, a, a search and I went back to South Korea for about a week for an adult adoptee tour and uh, met my biological mom and uh, my two brothers. And uh, yeah. Okay, I want to get to that. But um, first, I want to ask you guys, like, growing up, like, when do you realize that, when do you think it was the first time that you realized that you were different from your families? So for me, it was very early because I was the first in my family to be adopted. So it didn't take long for me to realize that I was the only person in my family that had brown skin. Um, So I noticed very early on, and I remember asking my parents about it, And, you know, they explained I was adopted. They've always been very open about the whole adoption thing. But, like, as far as race, we just never really talked about it. So I always knew I was adopted. I always knew I was different. But it wasn't really until kind of later that I started kind of putting two to two together and when I started experiencing racism, but I didn't really have the vocabulary to, like, express what I was feeling. Um, That that kind of came a little bit later. But I definitely knew that I was different very early because I was literally the only person, not only in my family, but in town. That's where the only black girl came from because I was the only black girl right. in everything, in church and sports and everything. So it was very obvious to me that nobody else here has brown skin but me. So what's going on here? Yeah, yeah. And and similarly, since I can remember, my parents have had very open dialogue about, you know, you were adopted and, you know, this is the process that we went through and, you know, um, it was more so, I think, probably early elementary school. We would go out to eat, and people would look at us, or just being out in public, people would kind of, just, I would catch them staring and not know why. Mm-hmm. And so, and mm-hmm. it was obviously because visually we looked so different, and people were wondering why me and my sister were with with my parents. Um, there was one time in a, a grocery store we were checking out, and the cashier would say, or said, oh, they're so beautiful. And my mom said, thank you. And she goes, leans in and whispers, are they adopted? And my mom said, yeah. And she leaned in again. She goes, do they know? I'm just like, I started laughing as a little kid because I felt like, how, how stupid <laughs> do you I think I am? You, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I can hear you whispering. So there's little things like that, that, you know, growing up, I became very used to explaining things to people, you know, answering questions and things like that. And I'm naturally, I've always been extroverted. So it was a lot later on, like I was probably in college age maybe, when I started thinking about and researching about um, the narrative of being lucky, which is what a lot of people are met with. Oof, yeah, I roll girl, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Wait, what do you mean being lucky? Oh, you're so lucky. Like when I would start to tell my story about what happened, be like, oh, oh thank, thank God you got adopted. You're so kind of lucky, you're lucky to kind of adopted, the rescuer kind syndrome of versus the inherited, you know, abandonment issues, trauma, and a lot of things that adoptees you know, domestic or international yeah. adoptions, um, I, I feel those uh, people incur. Did yeah. you have experience like that where people would tell you that you're lucky? Yeah, all the time. I, I have like a whole list of things that people have said to me. <laughs> um, but yeah, I always got that, especially uh, my younger siblings as well, because my sister's from Ethiopia and she definitely came from a more traumatic background. So we always got like the, oh, you're lucky, you were 
should be a doctor. You should be grateful yep. because where would you be otherwise? That kind of narrative gets all the time. And I'm also an extroverted person as well. So I've never had a problem telling people to fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of just always been my experience with that. But yeah, I, I, that happens. It even happens now as an adult. People try to put that like guilt on you. Like you need to fall in line or you need to be quiet and just be happy because, you know, you should just be lucky that somebody cared enough to adopt you. It's like... That's not really how that works, especially because yeah, right. we didn't have a choice in this situation yep. at all. <laughs> right. It's not like you filled out an application yourself right. yeah, as a baby. <laughs> like, hi, uh, excuse me, I'm looking for. Yeah. We didn't <laughs> We didn't vet each other in that process. Right. right. Exactly. Um, let me ask you guys this. Did your parents or do you feel like your families put a lot into making sure that you knew your cultural heritage at all or like had exposure to it? No. And no. I think that I've <laughs> gone through all. like a different... Uh, mindset as the years have gone on because in one instance I've never had a direct conversation and asked how conscious that was but um, of a decision that was for them but you know there was definitely like the space to explore ask questions you know research at the library or when I got <laughs> old enough to have a car I would drive to Seattle and go to Wajamaya or like Ranch Market and get you know buy different um, Korean or Asian groceries mm-hmm. um, but no and then kind of as as things as I got older, you know, I I researched and educated myself on the things that I wanted to know. But that was something growing up that was it was kind of difficult to have all these questions, having not met my biological family yet, um, about just the very basic question of, of what does my family look like and wanting to know just what see a picture. Yeah. Yeah. And what about you, Rebecca? Yeah, no, not at all for my family. I do think it was more just out of ignorance of not even thinking of it. It's one of the things I talk about a lot is I feel like a lot of adoptive parents, white adoptive parents aren't necessarily doing it maliciously. They just, Mm-mm. they don't think about yeah. it because they're white. It's not top it's of not mind. It's not something that comes yeah. to them. So for my family, especially having been like being homeschooled, it just was never something that crossed their mind. They did little things like we would go to like the African American Museum every once in a while or, you know, we would like, my mom taught like a whole class on Egypt was like, was the highlight of my life when I was growing up. It was like the first time I was like, oh my God, black people, what? (laughs) But it was nothing that was like consistent or like conscious, like we're going to try to incorporate black culture into our family because we have three black kids. That was just never something. It was just kind of more like, oh, here and there we might do this. Or they got me like the the black Addie doll, the the American girl doll. Oh yeah, I had that. Yeah, (laughs) it was just like small things here and there, but it was never something that made me feel like, oh, they're really investing time and thought into like trying to connect me to my cultural roots. Mm -hmm. And I think that one of the offshoots and the results of that when I got older is that uh, I kind of realized that being raised in that way where, yeah, there isn't a focus on my uh, racial and cultural uh, original background, but being raised in an all white community or predominantly white community, um, I was raised with those mannerisms, approaches, mindsets, et cetera. So when I started traveling and I lived other places and working other places, people were really surprised to see, you know, a five foot tall Korean woman who was just so self-assured, was outspoken, mm-hmm. had all of these traits that they stereotypically would not associate with me just on first visual glance. And that came from having, you know, like a strong, you know, matriarchal family for one and just a mom that did not put up with shit. And yeah. she she instilled that in me. And so I think that... Um, 
kind of like the flip side of that is that's another way of looking at um, being raised without a specific focus on yeah. on Korean culture. Mm -hmm. You know, that's interesting that you say that because I've worked with you and <laughs> I, I remember like people when like when I first met you and like people were like taken aback by your personality. Yep. And I wasn't. I was like, oh, that's what's up. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah. like people were taking, I guess they expected you to be a bit more like meek. I don't mm -hmm. know. But totally. yeah. it's, it's very interesting. I never really thought about it, but I, I remember that being like a reaction of some of the men specifically. Yep. Yeah. Um, let me ask you guys this. Do you feel like that's changed at all? Like, do you guys talk to other transracial adoptees, maybe people who are younger than you all? And like, do you think that's changed? Do you think that uh, families are trying harder to implement, you know, culture into the lives of their children? I know a couple different uh, transracial adoptees, and I actually met them while I was living here in Portland. Mm -hmm. But growing up, I actually didn't, aside from my sister, of course. Portland's big on that. Port the Pacific Northwest. <laughs> we are. We're up yeah. there for sure. Yeah. Y'all <laughs> <laughs> yeah, got that in the bag. But, like, I don't, I don't actually have, uh, I don't know people that have adopted um, internationally that are, I'm close with to have those conversations. Because I do think the difference of a couple decades and, you know, access in general and the narrative and the conversation that's going on mm -hmm. is much different than in the, the 80s, you know, when I was adopted. Um, mm -hmm. Rebecca, how do you feel about that? Yeah, I feel like it's a lot better now. I because my work revolves kind of around educating mm -hmm. parents. Um, I am involved in like a lot of like transracial adoption groups and stuff. And I do feel like there's a lot more. I think the conversation just in general about race is a lot more open and more front and center, especially with social media, that people are kind of starting to have these conversations. And there is there is more parents that are reaching out like what what do we need to do better? Or how would I approach this situation? And so I do feel like because the internet has kind of allowed us to have this conversation, I do feel like there's a lot more parents that are coming up and, you know, trying to have these discussions. Because like I said before, I felt like a lot of it was just due to them not even knowing yeah. that they mm -hmm. were supposed to be doing that kind of stuff. But now that we've had these conversations and we're having these marches about Black lives and everything else, mm -hmm. that people are like, oh, Maybe I should pay more a bit more attention to like incorporating cultures and paying attention to the fact that all my kids are not white. Right. You know? So I do feel like there's a lot more progress being made. And and I think that another another piece that's very important in this discussion and dialogue is actual the the voices of actual adoptees. Because yes. when I was younger, yeah, we had AOL and chat rooms and stuff, but there was no like, hey, were you adopted from South Korea too? Like there wasn't that kind of identity and that kind of community that I do feel exists now, both in just, you know, Instagram and you know, Twitter, whatever, whatever conversations or just content you're seeing on social media. I didn't have that when I was younger. And I really, really hope that that is something that is helping um, the adoptees themselves um, mm -hmm. kind of sort through like their, you know, questions and, and thoughts and feelings around around being adopted. Mm -hmm. It's interesting, too, because I feel like in America, and I talk a lot of trash about America. I'm so surprised I'm able to, like, fly and go places. But, yeah, I feel like in America specifically, too, like, it's just the way that things are and, like, the racial tension here and, and everything else and, like, how it's just such a, a hub. I mean, the world is a hub for white supremacy, but, like, this country is just such a, like, grand space for that. It just is, like, I don't see a a ton of transracial adoption or transnational adoption any like in any other country really yeah like I don't see a whole lot of it but it seems no, a lot really here not. specifically yeah and I think it's because well for one adoption in general is very expensive to do People, that's true for some reason think it's like free yeah <laughs> it's, <not>. it's so <laughs> definitely not free but, <laughs> It is complicated. But also, yeah. I mean, it's majority white people who are adopting. And I know some countries have just stopped, 
people from adopting. Yep. They like don't allow it now. Oh really? I mean, I mean, I could go into an hour long discussion on how fucked up the adoption laws and stuff oh, are, yeah. but we won't get into all of that. But yeah, I think it's just adoption. America has that privilege, and most of the people who are being adopted are coming from those other countries. So right, it's this is kind of the center where the white people with the money are that are wanting True. to adopt people. True. Do you guys ever see it the opposite? I've never seen any people of color adopting white children. Hmm. I actually know a few. Really? It's not, <laughs> yeah, I do. I know a few black people who have adopted white kids. It's not as common, obviously, but they're, they exist. Really? Yeah. What is yeah. that? Do you know, have you talked to them about their experience? Like, what is that, what is that like for them and like for the children and... I'm very, you know, that's very, like, I, interesting. I have, but it's very, it's hard for me to sympathize. I know it sounds terrible, but it's hard for me to sympathize because even though you're white adopted into a family of color, you still have an entire earth that caters <laughs> yeah, to true. your whiteness. So, you know what I mean? It's yeah, just, I get I don't that. Like, people try to compare them mm-hmm. to the other way around, and I feel like you just can't do that because even if you're adopted into a black family, you are still having an entire world that caters to your whiteness yes. and your experiences where for us, that does not exist for us. Right. So it's hard for me to accept that comparison. I'm sure they, I mean, being adopted, period, regardless of your color, has a whole lot of baggage and shit that for comes sure. with it. But it's yeah. just like, for me, I just, sometimes I just be sad. I'm like, is it, are you doing sure, girl? Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I get that. Um, so the, because this is at its heart, a travel podcast, um, what was traveling like when you guys were growing up? What was your experience traveling with your family? Um, so my family did not travel very much because there's eight of us and That's a lot of kids, <laughs> yeah, there's six kids and two parents. So traveling was not a huge option for us because we didn't really have that much money. I mean, we did a few like road trips and stuff, but, um, I mean, it was kind of the same experience anywhere we Mm -hmm. went. There's, you know, four white people with three kids and we're just walking around and people are like, what, what, what is going on here? I feel like today it's not as like strange to see because I feel like uh, mixed families are a little bit more common. But like when I was growing up, it was like we were an anomaly walking around. People were like, what is going on? What, what is happening here? Why are there's black people, very dark skinned black people with Mm -hmm. these white families? So we attracted a lot of attention everywhere we went. But I feel like for the most part, we were just like, by that point, we were like, girl, we don't care. We've, we've heard all of your weird comments and stuff. Like we're we're trying to eat. Go away. (laughs) The things that I experienced over time was when I was, it just changed as I get older. So when when you're younger and you're you're little, you know, people assume that you're traveling with your parents and yeah. your family. Um, the things that have changed, like for example, this past weekend, I was traveling with my husband and, and my parents, and we went to go check in at the front desk at the hotel. And the four of us are standing together, and I'm checking in, and she looks at my dad and goes, "Have you been helped, sir?" And he's standing uncomfortably. If he, we were strangers, it would have been it would have <laughs> been, been really weird. Okay? So um, and and. <laughs> And he's just like, no, we're all together. And then it, you always get that that millisecond of a pause, and then yeah. something clicks, and just just enough. Maybe they don't know what the situation is, but then they're like, oh, okay, keep it moving. Mm-hmm. And so that's the kind of things as an adult. Same thing going into restaurants. They say two when it's me and my husband, and then my parents are standing right next to us. I'm like, no, it's four. And it's just like you make visual, like little micro situations yeah. like that where it's just changed over the years. It's still present um, for sure. But with traveling, there was never really, there's no, you know, negative experience of someone being racist mm. or overtly at least that mm. I that I uh, encountered. Mm-hmm. Do you have any questions? 
<laughs> hmm. My biggest question was <laughs> that it did y'all like bring up questions to your parents? And then, like, how did they respond? Because they weren't really overtly trying to have that conversation. Right. But I'm sure growing up, I, I definitely had questions because I'm much darker than my parents. I'm still very much so their kids. But, like, I had similar issues just being literally eight shades darker than both of my parents. So mm-hmm. I was curious mm-hmm. how y'all, like, approached your parents in that. My parents were always very open and said, you know, they gave me my adoption records when I was young. And just, you know, all the paperwork and everything that they knew, I knew. And so then I always were there and saying, if you have any questions or you want to talk about things like that was consistent. We're a very open and communicative family in general. So I always knew that I could talk to them and there wasn't any kind of stigma or like, we don't talk about that. It wasn't (laughs) it wasn't that at all. But um, I I found myself more oftentimes than not answering other people's questions um, Mm -hmm. because I had mine, but they they didn't have the answers to them. So, yeah. Mm. Yeah, mine's kind of similar. For as far as adoption, I had the same thing. My parents gave me my file super early. Um, But I kind of picked up that I wasn't supposed to talk about race very early because I remember trying to go to them about like little microaggressions you experience. Like I remember one time we were in the store, I was in the store with my mom and this older white woman came walking by and she leaned over and said to my mom, she was like, oh, wow. It's been a long time since I've seen one of those before. And while she's pointing at me. Yeah. And I was pretty young. And I so I didn't like fully understand what she was saying, but I knew it was something fucked up because I was like, one of those. Like Yeah, what a one of those. And so I remember trying to talk to my mom about this, and it's always the same thing. It's always like, oh, maybe she didn't mean it like that, or they're old, they don't know what the time that kind of thing. And it was just kind of those little microaggressions I kept experiencing, and I would try to like bring up like, hey, I don't feel cool about this. But it was always just something like, you know, just, you know, they didn't mean it, all that stuff. So I kind of realized very early on that I just wasn't supposed to talk about race with them. So I didn't ask them questions about race. Adoption, sure, they can answer all the questions in the world. But race, I just, I never talked to them about it because they made it pretty, pretty clear that that just wasn't a subject that we talked about. Now it's a little bit different, especially since I've been more outspoken about it. Now we have more conversations, but growing up, it's like, it was just like, we just don't do that. Have, have they asked you at all? Like, since you, I mean, you said your job is yelling at white people. So have they, <laughs> have they asked you at all? Basically. Have they, like, asked you, like, you know, was there something we could have done better? Or, like, you know, how do you, how do you guys talk about it now? So uh, it's interesting. My, par- my parents are now divorced, but they both kind of took two completely opposite directions. So my mom has been very open about it. She's been very, like, I know that I messed up raising you and now I want to know or learn what I can do now as you're an adult and she's also you know very involved in raising my niece who's also black and so you know she's trying to learn and Mm -hmm. we have open dialogue my dad went the complete opposite direction and was like you know the not all white people and you know we Mm -hmm. did what we could do and blah 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 he kind of went the more guilt trippy way and I was like okay bro like I'm not gonna do this with you 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 too grown we both too grown (laughs) 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 so they kind of went too opposite opposite directions and I'm just one of those people like if you're willing to have a dialogue I will have a dialogue with you but I'm not gonna fight with you about things that are real I'm not gonna stop talking about my black experiences because it makes you uncomfortable so my dad's kind of over in the corner doing what he wants to do but my mom and I we have conversations about it all the time so yeah now it's been you know I'm like 
talking to her a bit more about, you know, how you need to be more inclusive and how we should, like, incorporate more of my culture and my sister's culture because she's African, so it's a completely different culture than mine. Right, right. And, you know, making it normalized in our family, like our holidays and things like that. Just, you know, little things that you can do to kind of make us feel more like we all belong in the family instead of making it like a white-centered family. Right. I'm actually curious to know how you guys are received by people of your own race. Oof. Like yes. from that, you know what I mean? Like I'm like, because that's that's really intriguing to me because I know that like obviously we can all be very ignorant, mm-hmm. you know, at times, and so it's like, even me, like I, I I'm very fair skinned and everything, and I've been called a white girl pretty much all my life yeah. by other black folks. So and like yeah. my parents are black, so I just you know I'm curious to know like how are you guys received or treated? Was there like, you know, uh. Actually, like now that I'm just thinking back on it, I, again, haven't had a lot of negative experiences. I would say like perhaps in college, there was a couple times um, with international students who are Asian that would call me a banana. What is that? Why? Yellow on the outside and white on the inside. Oh. Yeah. So well, that happened like a, a few, <laughs> a few, yeah, a few times. But like my, my experience has not been negative. I think that I operate under the mindset of just, I'm kind of a party of one because like I said, there's two other people in Portland that I'm friends with and close with that are also, Mm -hmm. um, transnational trans, uh, racial adoptees. And so it's a very small pool of people that can relate to you. And so I've just gotten accustomed and, and comfortable with living my own kind of identity and, and the truth and like the things that I've gone through in life and feel in life. And I don't really search out for, I guess, identity in that way with other, that kind of community with other people. So, yeah. So for me, I did have a lot of really negative experiences. Um, I wasn't probably until high school, maybe like eighth grade, high schoolish area that I met other black people outside my family. Mm -hmm. And as much as I love black people, we can be real brutal. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Especially. So like, I know, I think now it's a little bit better, but like back then it was like, if you're not this like stereotypical box of black, then you're not black. Mm -hmm. So I feel like I got as much shit from black people as I did white people. It was like, I was too black for white people and I was not black enough for black people. Yeah. So I, I was the Valley girl. I was the or, I was the black girl that didn't know anything about quote unquote black culture, right? I didn't know mm-hmm. all the, the quotes from every Tupac song and all that kind of <laughs> stuff. And it was, I got made fun of like ruthlessly from black people. But I will say where instead of turning me off to black culture, I then took that and like dove headfirst into really like researching and understanding black culture. Whereas some adoptees, which I totally understand, just like could completely turn off and then they just feel kind of left out of yeah. everything, which I totally understand. But for me, probably because I'm hard headed and stubborn, I was like, well, that's cute. <laughs> well, I'm going to go over here and do my research and school. all of y'all on black culture, okay? So, you're not going to say nothing to me. <laughs> that's kind of what I did. And I think now I don't really have that problem just because I, so well educated and versed in not only just black culture but I just took such a such a huge extreme dive into just like learning everything I possibly could about history mm-hmm. yeah knowing that I'm not for everybody and vice versa I don't really have an issue if I'm not Asian enough or because I don't speak Korean um, and whatnot if I'm not able to connect with other people uh, who are Asian as well I don't. I just keep it moving. I really don't care. Yeah. I've got too much going on and too many other things right. I care about to yeah. let somebody impact me. Like you don't like me, cool. Like yeah. great. 
as my friend says, I got my own problems. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I have a, another question. I know that you um, took a trip to South Korea mm-hmm. and you got a chance to meet your birth mother. Yep. I don't, I'm not sure about your story as far as wanting to connect with your, your family, your birth family, but I'm curious to know about those stories. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that? Like, have you guys mm-hmm. felt that urge? When did it come along? Mm-hmm. If you did feel it, like, you know. I was like, as soon as I got, I could comprehend my case file and that I was adopted. Like I've always been curious and it's just this mystery. So many different questions that come up, like I mentioned before of, you know, visually identi- identifying with people. Um, and so when I was in a senior in college, I filled out the form because for my um, specific adoption, uh, which was through Bethany Christian Services and Holt International Adoption Agency between the two countries, Oof. I filled, yes, yes I <laughs> yes, I filled out a form. You have to be 18. I was 21. So I searched and I it was maybe half a year later that they reached out and said that they had actually found my biological mother. And then, and then that too, she was willing to be in contact because that is a thing where um, in South Korea and other countries as well, um, even if you find that person or a person that might be your parent, there is a, a stigma attached to adoption that is not present in the U.S. And a lot of people will deny that they are the person or they don't want any contact. What is the stigma? Is it just like it's a, a shameful thing to do? It's okay. not it's just not accepted. And so here it's a completely different viewpoint. But there it's just you might have done that, but you do not talk about it. Mm-hmm. And so um, I went, like I said, in uh, I think it was like summer 2009. It actually caused a rift in uh, my family because it further made me unique in my family because my sister didn't um, and doesn't feel the need to search or, or doesn't have that curiosity. And so um, it hurt my parents. And I think that um, it go- kind of goes back to the education we were talking about at the time of um, that need for identity and the things that are, are going to originate from the adoptee like searching, yeah. like a natural curiosity. And so, um, like I said, like it was a, not a, a high point in the relationship that I had with my parents because I was resolute in the fact that I deserved to do this and that I needed to do it for myself as an adult. Mm-hmm. Um, and so going there and actually meeting her, it actually wasn't the end result that I had thought would happen all of those decades because it didn't punctuate anything. Yeah. yeah. It, it didn't, you know, heal some wound or... It wasn't like the ending to the story. Like, and that was, and she lived happily ever after. It opened up more conversations and more questions and things like that for me. Um, And so I didn't actually end up staying in touch with my uh, biological family when I got back. And that was something that I struggled with for about a year, trying to figure out like why I I couldn't force myself to actually communicate by email or letters or anything like that. And it was because I didn't need to. Do you have other siblings from her, from Mm -hmm. your biological mother? Yeah, so I have two older brothers and an older sister. Mm -hmm. And so I met my two older brothers while I was there. They don't all live in the same city. Mm -hmm. Um, But while I was there, that's who I was able to, to meet. And so that was, I mean, the cool part was, even though we didn't speak each other's languages, um, my oldest brother owns a restaurant and is very much into food. And that, if people know me, like, that is my she jam. She loves food. Yeah. Yes. So, <laughs> like, I have an Instagram account just for that. And so that was a connection. That actually is really where um, me taking food photos started because there was the time where we were sitting, actually having Korean barbecue together. And through the translator, he said, like, I don't need words. Like, we, we get each other. Like, we, and we're sitting over this, you know, communal meal, like, hanging out together. And he was making me the traditional kind of, like, bulgogi, like, in the lettuce wrap and mm-hmm. the, teaching me how to, how to eat it. And that, that moment was really powerful for me because, yeah, like, there are dishes and there is just food and you know food as a form of love is kind of the way I look at it there's so much you can learn through um when you're in other countries and traveling Mm -hmm. that don't have to do with being able to 
be fluent in that language. Yeah. How were you received by your mother? Was it your biological mother? Was it? She a... was. She's really worried that she's obviously crying. We both were, but she was really worried that I was really mad at her. Yeah. Uh, and you know, you don't know what to expect. You haven't met somebody, you know, since you know. I was born and so it was a lot of reassurance and like I didn't understand that because I personally don't and didn't and don't harbor those feelings um, because I'm doing just fine yeah uh, so was she proud of you I think so yeah I mean it was just really weird to have somebody there right there that she looked she did look a lot like me I was gonna say, she, do she you was look like her she was a little shorter than me my, my brothers look a lot like me and um, I they brought pictures of my my biological sister and she looked a lot like me too so it was, yeah, in that sense, it was very fulfilling. And I uh, just, I learned from that, that it's, it rounded out a little bit of what I needed to know, but it's not going to fix the things that I had experienced or the things that I continue to, you know, as an adult now and moving on in, in life. So it's just, it, it's not the, the band-aid for being adopted. Mm -hmm. Did yeah. you feel at all when you went to South Korea, I mean, be, from not having so much exposure to the culture, how was it just like being there in, in the country in general? It was the first time that I was, uh, I blended in. And mm. it was the anonymity of that and just walking around and just being like, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Did no that one feel so comfortable? I, yeah. shoot, I mean, I felt that in New Orleans. Yeah. Like, I was in New Orleans. <laughs> yeah. I went to New Orleans for Essence, and I mean, like, I remember being, like, at a table with uh, the other Rebecca who's on our team and, like, uh, mm -hmm. one of our friends, Alicia, and I was like, white people. I was like, wait, why am I whispering? <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh my God, I don't have to whisper. <laughs> yeah, I was like, it was crazy. Yeah, I so mean, yeah. it was comforting, but then at the same time, you know, the people that were organizing the trip said, you know, they, you know that they know you're not from here, right? Oh, really? They know that you're not. So it's that, not purgatory, but it's that, that half world for me. That, that's kind of the way I describe it to people is, mm -hmm. you know, like when you're in, you know, in Portland or in Washington, everybody knows you're Asian. And even when you're back in your motherland, you're in Korea, they know too because of the way I wear my makeup you that I'm American. Yeah. Tan, the yeah. way that I walk even. Because I'd ask people, like, how do you know? Like, just the way you carry yourself. That's how I felt in Puerto Rico when I yeah. went. Like, it was just like they could read that I couldn't speak Spanish. You know, it's like I look Puerto Rican. And I did have some people come up to me and speak Spanish. Mm -hmm. But the second I spoke, they were like, oh, you're not. You're not like Puerto Rican, Puerto Rican. Like, oh, you might be full blooded, but like you're not from here. And mm -hmm. yeah, it's it's hard. Mm -hmm. How about you, Rebecca? Did you ever have the urge to find your birth family? And Yeah, so uh, I have reconnected with my birth family. Uh, they're still in Houston, but I have not made the trip to go down there yet. Mm -hmm. um, my search was a little bit more difficult because my adoption was closed for, oh. which means, um, for those who don't, don't know, basically means that there's no communication after the adoption. So all of my records were redacted. I literally had nothing to go off except a first name, which my mom had just remembered, which was Alicia. <laughs> and so... I didn't really start searching probably until I think it was like my junior or senior year of college that I really felt like, okay, I'm ready to take this journey because I knew it was going to be a journey. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I did that and I just spent uh, probably a good month or two just trying to track down people because the agency I went through was closed. I started just like cold calling any number or address I would look up on Google and I just... I'd literally just cold called a bunch of places and I eventually was able to get a last name and then I was able to find her on Facebook and we re reconnected there and then other stuff came out like she thought I was dead this whole time oh because my whatever gosh. agency yeah then like whatever agency she went through because she was homeless at the time so nobody really had like oh. any previous 
address on her, but whatever agency she went through on her end had told her I had died after the adoption. So that's why she never tried to find me because she horrible. just thought I was dead this whole time. And yeah. so we, it came through this whole thing. And then I found out the FBI was investigating this place. And it was just what? like, so. Investigating the adoption agency? It was like, yeah, which is way more common than people think. There's a lot of black market adoptions that yep, happen really? in this country. Um, but yeah, so I went through all of that and we did reconnect on Facebook and uh, I knew about my oldest brother because she had already had him when I was adopted. So I knew about him, but then I, I did find out I have three younger half siblings oh, wow. mm-hmm. and I talked to them on the phone and we're all connected on social media and stuff. So we do keep in touch and eventually um, when I'm ready, I'll take the trip down there to meet them face to face. But yeah, I did take that leap and I just kind of knew from a young age, my family always was super open about, you know, whenever you're ready we'll do that if you want to. Um, but I was, I kind of knew I wasn't ready to take that leap just like emotionally. I was yeah. just not there. It wasn't really till college that I was like, okay, I think I can do this. And I also decided I wanted to do it by myself. Right. I did not want my biological parents involved. I was like, thank you for your support, but I, this is a journey that I feel like I need to do on my own. And so they've been really respecting of that, which I appreciate. But yeah, that's kind of where we're at now. We're just kind of friends from a distance. <laughs> that's and nice I made though. Very, yeah, I made it very clear with her when we connected. I was like, I need to make do this relationship on my terms. Like, cause she was obviously excited to find out that I'm not dead. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I can't imagine all this. Like she, that's crazy. Yeah, it's insane. It's crazy. But yeah, everyone's gone, been pretty respectful of how I want to do this. So yeah. Um, Before we wrap up, I want to ask you guys, one more question. What advice would you give parents who are pursuing transracial adoption? Or what advice would you give transracial adoptees that maybe are just having a difficult time, maybe younger people or people that are older that are having a difficult time, like kind of just coming to terms with everything race wise? Um, for me, so for parents, I always tell them to really consider why they're adopting. Cause I feel like a lot of people do it out of this white savior complex yeah. and mm-hmm. that's just not, don't, don't do that. So I would really encourage people to rethink the reason why they're adopting. And then also if you do go to through with it to just immediately get rid of the colorblind mentality, it's, it's 2019. We don't have time for it. It helps nobody get out of the, the colorblindness mindset. And you really need to be active in incorporating the cultures of whatever child you adopt into the family to make it. I call it like making a multicultural family instead of just pretending everybody is still white in the family. Normalize the fact that everybody is not white. And for adoptees. I would just say, girl, you're not alone. <laughs> you're not alone out there. I thought I was alone, but you know, now I thank God for social media because now we have the ability to connect with other adoptees across the world. You can always reach out to me. There's other adoptee blockers that are out there and are totally willing to have a conversation and sit down with you and just reassure you that you're not alone out here. I always encourage people to try to find a way to get connected with other people in their communities, whether it's a school group or community group, anything really, just find a way that you can like ground yourself in your culture and your community in Bible, whatever means necessary, because you're gonna need it. <laughs> yeah, I think that for, for my perspective, uh, for the parents, I would say, 
you know, sit down and, and think about and on a regular basis reevaluate what things at your, your child or children might need as they're going through the different phases of growing up and becoming adults because that changes over time. And I think having that constant uh, communication and openness about even asking, like, you know, what do you need? Because a lot of times parents don't know the, the answer. Um, and then I would say to, to pair with what Rebecca said for the individual, the adoptee, is not only finding outwardly, uh, what helps you, but think about inwardly, internally, what you're experiencing. And um, if you need, you know, some people, therapy helps. Um, other times, it's just really being a little bit more introspective and, and critically analyzing what you're feeling and maybe how how things are manifesting in your life. Mm-hmm. Like for me, I for, when I was younger, I had a lot of problems. Like I would be in long-term relationships, um, but the reasons that those ended sometimes were kind of like, if, if I leave you first, you can't leave me. Mm. in dating mm-hmm. that kind of thing and i that i Ooh, want to say that's damn, solely, that's a word i never me. thought about that i'm like did i do that it took me a long time <laughs> yeah, and, so, and, that, and that's on top of all the things that you know you're experiencing being a human so i just wanted to you know recognizing the fact that those things can uh surface and manifest in different ways that you don't think are connected um and figuring out what those are um via you know the tools that work for you but checking in with yourself and really uh being honest about it because mm-hmm. it's not going anywhere if you don't deal with it. That's the truth. And that's everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you, ladies, so much. Uh, let let the people know where they can find you. Uh, well, you can find my blog. It's just www.onlyblackgirl.com. And it's Only Black Girl on all the social media. And you can always just shoot me an email, onlyblackgirl@gmail.com, if you just, you know, need to vent need to talk, just whatever, if you have a question. I really, I do get adoptees that are just like, they just need to rant sometimes. And I'm fine with that. I get it. I totally get it. So yeah, you can find me at onlyblackgirl.com. All my information's on there as well. And yeah, I'm always cool. You can just reach out to me. Mm-hmm. And how yeah. about you? And me, um, if you just, I'm mainly just on Instagram because I don't mess with Twitter. So uh, <laughs> my my personal is uh, at High Hutch. And then I have um, the foodie photographer is my food Instagram. If you just search Shannon Johnson. So I, I just got married. Yeah, she's married. Sorry. Yes. But, um, <laughs> that's Shannon Johnson. So what I still like Sorry. Shannon Hutchinson is my, is, you know, professionally with my work name. It is that. But Shannon Johnson is uh, is my legal name. So, um, yeah, those are the two ways. And uh, just similarly uh, to Rebecca, I'm an open book. And for both adoptees and not, um, yeah, feel free to reach out. Thank you, ladies, so much. Thank you. Thank you guys guys. for joining us today. And uh, enjoy a nice contributor story by Casey Lawrence. Have a good one. Growing up, I always knew that I was adopted. There was no way my mom and dad could hide it from me. They honestly just couldn't. They are both Caucasian and I am Vietnamese. So growing up, it was always a discussion in our household. My older brother is also adopted. He's not my biological brother, but he may as well be at this point. Growing up, I knew that part of my life was going to be about exploring finding my birth parents and learning more about my story. I was adopted at the age of two and a half and knew that there had to be a story between the ages of zero and two and a half. And that's really what I wanted to find out more about. With the type of adoption that I had, I did have access to my records and had the ability to seek out my family when I turned 18. 
However, when I turned 18, I was just not in a place emotionally where it was something that I really wanted to explore. I was just starting college. I was just trying to, you know, figure my life out and what I really wanted to do. And so it just wasn't the right time for me. The time came when I was 25. I decided now's the time. I have a career. I have a house. I have my life together and I'm ready to try to figure out this story. There were small pieces about my story that I knew. I knew that I had a loving mother, a loving father, and that it just for some reason didn't work out, which is why I was put up for adoption at the age of two and a half. Over the years, I would receive letters and gifts from my birth parents, but sometimes there would be pieces missing. What I mean by that is letters would come to my house addressed to me. However, there would be holes physically cut out of these letters. I learned that everything that I had correspondence-wise with them had to go through a caseworker. So that meant everything went to the caseworker first. It was sifted through to make sure that there wasn't any identifying traits in the letters or gifts. And if so, they would just be cut out. And so um, what I had was pretty generic information. I knew their names, I had pictures of them, but I wasn't really sure of the full story and if I wanted to pursue meeting them and really kind of how I felt about it. So I reached out to my, my social worker and just kind of told her the story. Um, you know, again, I was 25, I was ready to make some sort of a discovery about myself and, you know, best case scenario, find out who the heck these people were. So. She did tell me right away, you know, I know who both of your birth parents are. I think that a good place to start would be with your birth father, as he didn't really have any say in your adoption process. You were adopted, you were put up for adoption and adopted out before he even knew what was going on. And so um, she said, he, he has always been communicative over the years. I know that if you tried to reach out to him that he, you know, would be probably pretty responsive. He's been responsive in the past and so I decided to write a letter and she said to me, you know, I'm gonna send this letter out but you have to be prepared for the possibility of no response or a negative response or a positive response and just know that you know whatever is going to happen is is going to happen and you just have to be ready for that so i sent out this letter and she sent two copies actually one to uh, his most current address one to his past known address and she sent them both certified meaning that he'd have to sign for them and if he signed for them then she would get receipts saying that he got them so she sent out the letter and I waited. She prepared me and said, you know, you may be waiting a week, you may be waiting six months, you be, might be waiting forever. He might not respond, and again, if he responds, it might be positive, it might be negative, it might be nothing at all. So I just didn't quite know what to expect. However, two weeks later, I got a phone call, and it was from my caseworker. She said that she found my birth father. She said that he is ready to hop on a plane and come meet me whenever I wanted. 
So at that point, just all of these emotions came over me and I was excited, I was scared, I was thinking, oh my gosh, did I really do this? And am I gonna meet this person? Am I gonna meet the person who knew me for the first couple of years of my life? And um, you know, there's so much story between that time when I was born and the time that I was adopted. And am I ready to really open this can of worms? And I decided pretty quickly, once she told me she found him, that I'm gonna get in my car, I'm gonna meet him. And so that's what happened. I drove to Seattle, which is where um, our caseworker is based out of. And he flew to Seattle from Hawaii. And we met for the first time, that I can remember at least, uh, in the office that I was adopted from. And it was a really surreal moment. It was one of those things where um, I've been his daughter all along, but he hasn't necessarily been my dad all along. So, you know, there was a lot of weird emotions that happened. And over the past six years, our relationship has gotten better. We've gotten closer and I've realized that I have a family and, um, you know, my adopted family plus my biological family. It's like this, it's like one big happy family. It truly is. And I'm so, so blessed that this story had an amazing ending and continues to grow and continues to add chapters to it day in and day out. And if you're thinking about possibly reaching out and trying to find your biological family, I'm here to tell you that it's an emotional roller coaster, but definitely can have an amazing ending.